Welcome to A Great Big City News, episode 14. Today, subway groundbreaking, a plywood wall, and a steamy elevator. Visit agreatbigcity.com support to learn how to support New York City local news and allow us to keep bringing you this podcast. If you're a New York-based business and would be interested in sponsoring our podcast, visit agreatbigcity.com advertising to learn more. Hi, I'm Trey Skilton, editor-in-chief at A Great Big City. Looking back through history this week, there seemed to be a lot of disasters in middle to late March. While the history pages on A Great Big City document everything possible that happens in the city, I usually try and select the most interesting and most relevant stories for the podcast. But these shows for the end of March will unfortunately have a few dark stories. I've spaced them out in between some lighter moments to keep the podcast from being too heartbreaking all at once. But it's also important to learn from the past as we move forward as a better city and as a better society. So with that in mind, here's some stories from this week in city history. 23 years ago, on March 17, 1996, the city hospitals and the FDNY combine emergency response units to form the FDNY EMS and provide ambulance service citywide. In February 2019, the Daily News reported that the city EMS handles 83% of calls to the FDNY and did so with a workforce less than half as large as the number of firefighters. The disparity between the number of incidents that require EMS response compared to the number of fires citywide that require FDNY response highlighted the discrepancy in pay between medical workers and firefighters. The starting salary for a firefighter is currently $45,196 per year, while the starting salary for a city EMT is $35,254 per year. 61 years ago, on March 19, 1958, a fire at the Monarch Underwear Company kills 24 and injures 15. The building at 263 Broadway housed a number of textile manufacturers, and the fire reportedly started just before 4 p.m. in the third-floor textile factory of STS Textile Company in an oven that was used for textile production. A number of those injured had jumped from the burning building, attempting to land on nets being held by firefighters below. Truck driver Edward Wine had volunteered to help firefighters hold the nets, but was injured when he was hit by a woman jumping from the building. The fire brought back memories of the city's deadliest industrial fire, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory Fire, that occurred only a few blocks north and would mark its 47th anniversary just six days after the fire. Today, number 263 Broadway houses a Chase Bank at ground level and a Kaplan School for English language learners on the floors above. Two years ago, on March 20, 2017, Timothy Kaufman is stabbed and killed on 36th Street in Hell's Kitchen by a white man from Baltimore who had traveled to Manhattan planning to kill black men. In a video confession, the killer proclaimed his racist and white supremacist beliefs and said he had planned to go on a killing spree. The attacker surrendered to police before carrying out attacks he had planned for Times Square. He admitted to stalking couples in Central Park and intended to target interracial couples, but instead stabbed a 66-year-old man in the back while he was collecting cans for recycling. In February 2019, the killer was sentenced to life in prison without parole, after pleading guilty to state charges of murder as terrorism and murder as a hate crime. You may have seen those plywood walls in subway stations and wondered what was going on behind them, 
but one graffiti vandal found out this week that he should have paid closer attention to his surroundings. After months of receiving complaints that pro-Trump graffiti was showing up in the stations, the NYPD built a fake plywood wall for officers to hide behind. Once they saw Jamie Montemorano scribbling a Trump-themed hashtag in the Borough Hall Court Street station, officers emerged from behind the plywood wall and placed him under arrest. He was charged with criminal mischief and creating graffiti. 29 years ago on March 25, 1990, the Happy Land nightclub fire kills 87 in West Farms in the Bronx, becoming the city's deadliest fire since the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. Arson was found to be the cause when a man set a gasoline fire outside the club's only exit, ostensibly targeting his former girlfriend who worked at the club. Hauntingly, the fire occurred 79 years to the day after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. The Happy Land Club was a gathering place for the Garifuna community in the South Bronx, situated in a small property along Southern Boulevard at East Tremont Avenue. Tragically, the club was operating illegally after being ordered closed due to a lack of sprinklers and fire exits. Had these modifications been in place, the act of arson could have become a mere inconvenience and not a horrific murder scene. In his anger at being rejected by his girlfriend, Julio Gonzalez returned to the club around 3 a.m., splashed gasoline along the club's only exit, lit the fire, and closed the metal security gate. Noxious gases quickly filled the club and killed 87 people. Gonzalez was convicted of 174 counts of murder. In a twist of fate, the former girlfriend that Gonzalez was targeting was one of the survivors of the fire. Today, a commemorative memorial has been placed in a park across the street, and a mural decorates the block where the fire took place. On March 21, 1929, Charles Lindbergh receives the Medal of Honor. In the spirit of St. Louis Airplane, Lindbergh departed on his record-setting flight from Roosevelt Field Airport near Mineola, Long Island on May 20, 1927 and landed 33 and a half hours later and 3,600 miles away at Le Bourget Airport in Paris. This cross-Atlantic flight set Lindbergh's name forever in history and earned him the $25,000 Orteg Prize from Raymond Orteg, owner of the Lafayette Hotel and Brever Hotel in Manhattan. When Lindbergh returned to New York on June 13, 1927, he was celebrated in a ticker tape parade from Lower Manhattan through Central Park, and by March 21, 1928, Congress and President Coolidge presented the pilot with the Medal of Honor. As a reward for the successful flight, Lindbergh received the Orteg Prize at the Brevard Hotel on June 17, 1927. As an honorary prize, he received the first Master of Aeronautics degree from NYU. Today, the Roosevelt Field Airport on Long Island closed in 1951, and now the site is used as retail shopping. But the nearby Cradle of Aviation Museum preserves the history of the site, including Charles Lindbergh's first plane and his flight gear. Ortega's Lafayette Hotel is gone, and the site at University Place and East 9th is now the Lafayette, a residential building. The Brevard Hotel, where Lindbergh was presented the Ortega Prize, survived 100 years until 1954, but is now the site of a large residential building. Lindbergh's plane, The Spirit of St. Louis, is on permanent display at the Smithsonian's National Air and Space Museum in Washington, D.C., and the Lindbergh Meat Market in Bay Ridge claims to have opened the same day in 1927 when Charles Lindbergh paraded down Fort Hamilton Parkway. On 
162 years ago, on March 23, 1857, Elisha Otis installs the first passenger elevator. New York is a city built on elevators, and the modern era of skyscrapers began with the installation of the first passenger elevator in the E.V. Howitt Building. The Howitt Building at the corner of Broadway and Broome was newly built and designed as a department store before the department store model even existed. The building is a showpiece itself, with an exterior composed of elaborate cast-iron facades, but a revolutionary design also debuted inside. Mr. Howitt was preparing to open a grand showroom of glass and porcelain products, but he knew that a brand new invention could attract patrons into the store. Therefore, despite no practical need of an elevator, Mr. Howitt installed a steam-powered lift designed by Elisha Otis, which became the first passenger elevator installed in a commercial building. The original Otis was powered by a steam engine and based on the new safety elevator technology that Elisha Otis had demonstrated at the Crystal Palace only three years earlier. Today's elevators use a relatively similar mechanical safety mechanism to prevent the car from dropping if the lifting cables are severed. A newer elevator installed at the Howitt store in 1892 is sometimes confused for that first model, but this newer elevator was a completely different design and was installed by Alonzo B.C., Few details survive of that first Otis elevator's appearance, and no information seems to exist on when the first elevator was removed, or if any parts survived the removal process. It may not be as glamorous as the E.V. Howitt department store in the 1800s, but you may want to stop by Manhattan's first IKEA store, opening April 15th. The store at 3rd and 59th will be a bit different and may not be of much use if you're looking for an extra table for this weekend's party. The store will only display a select number of IKEA products and will only offer delivery, so it will be more suited to testing out their larger pieces of furniture and not dragging DIY pieces home on the subway. The store will be open 7 days a week at 999 3rd Avenue in Midtown. 119 years ago, on March 24, 1900, the groundbreaking ceremony for the rapid transit system on Tunnel Day in Manhattan. City officials, a thousand police officers, and a huge group of onlookers gathered outside City Hall on a Saturday afternoon to witness the celebration as Mayor Van Wyck held a groundbreaking ceremony to begin subway construction. A New York Times article painted a lively scene of crowds gathered to hear comments delivered by city officials as they dug into the ground with a sterling silver shovel made by Tiffany and company. Members of the crowd pushed forward and tried to grab dirt and pieces of rock that had been ceremonially excavated from a break in the sidewalk in front of City Hall. And Mayor Van Wyck even gathered the first shovel of dirt into his new silk hat. Work on the Interborough Rapid Transit System would begin later that week, and it would open four years later on October 27, 1904. A Great Big City has been your source for New York City news since October 2010, but the AGBC News podcast is just getting started, and we need your support. A Great Big City is built on a dedication to explaining what is happening in New York and how it fits into the larger history of New York, which means thoroughly researching every topic and avoiding clickbait headlines to provide a straightforward, honest, and factual explanation of the news. Individuals can make a monthly or one-time contribution at agreatbigcity.com support, and local businesses can have a lasting impact by supporting local news while promoting products or services directly to interested customers listening to this podcast. 
Visit agreatbigcity.com slash advertising to learn more. With your support, you can guarantee that A Great Big City will be here to tell any future generations about department store elevators that may be powered by nuclear fusion instead of steam. Park of the Day Brook Park in Mott Haven in the Bronx. Brook Playground and the adjacent avenue are named for Mill Brook, a stream which once ran through this neighborhood before the area was developed. This corner park is densely green, with a large weeping willow tree shading the garden areas below. New York City Parks acquired Brook Park in 1979 under the auspices of the South Bronx Neighborhood Open Space Development Project. And now let's see where our robot friend will be celebrating the first week of spring on the concert calendar. Here's the AGBC concert calendar for this week. Volver is playing Irving Plaza on Friday, March 22nd at 7 p.m. Weekend Friends, Coping Skills, Hint Like a Girl, and Nervous Stater are playing the Kingsland on Friday, March 22nd at 7 p.m. Hollis Brown is playing Mercury Lounge on Friday, March 22nd at 7.30 p.m. Home Shake, Pink Saifu, and Eve Jarvis are playing Brooklyn Steel on Friday, March 22nd at 8 p.m. Jawbreaker, Pogo, and War on Women are playing Brooklyn Steel on Saturday, March 23rd at 7 p.m. VHS Collection and Future Generations are playing Irving Plaza on Saturday, March 23rd at 8 p.m. Mariah Carey is playing Radio City Music Hall on Monday, March 25th at 8 p.m. Music and Conversation and the Zombies are playing The Cutting Room on Tuesday, March 26th at 6 p.m. Eve Toomer is playing National Sawdust on Tuesday, March 26th at 8 p.m. Thanks for listening. Find more fun things to do at agreatbigcity.com slash events. Here's something you may not have known about New York. At 33 square miles, Manhattan is the smallest borough but it has the greatest population density of any city or county in the United States. The extreme highs and lows for this week in weather history, a record high of 84 degrees on March 21, 1921, and a record low of 10 degrees on March 21, 1885. Weather for the week ahead, rain today and tomorrow, with high temperatures rising to 60 degrees on Sunday. Gusty winds will be of concern on Friday the 22nd, and may reach 40 mile per hour gust overnight into Saturday. Thanks for listening to A Great Big City. Follow along 24 hours a day on social media at A Great Big City or email contact at A Great Big City with any news, feedback, or topic suggestions. Subscribe to A Great Big City News wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Player FM, Spotify, or listen to each episode on the podcast pages at agreatbigcity.com slash podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening, and visit our website to see show notes and extra links for each episode. Thanks for being part of a great big city.